Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Prophecy Today Weekend. Yes, we are back home for a couple of days. Had a great trip out into South Dakota, then into Oklahoma, and finally returning here to Broadcast Central. Great to have you listening today. want you to stay tuned because in the second half hour, Sharam Hadian, who was born in Iran, 28 years a Muslim, before he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, will talk to us about the statement by Joe Biden. We had, of course, the debate this last week between the president and the vice president, both running for either re-election or to be elected as president of the United States. But earlier in the week, Joe Biden made a statement that he would have Muslims in every level of his administration should he be elected president. Now, is that dangerous, or is that good, or is that mixing our different types of peoples who live here in America into the next administration? We'll talk with Sharam about that momentarily. But right now, we go to Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. We're so thankful to be able to have Ken available with his knowledge and insight into these geopolitical events happening in our world today. And Ken, the president of Iran, Rouhani, says that the next president, speaking of the presidential election, he says the next U.S. president must be understanding and realize and admit defeat and surrender to Iran. Man, that's a bold statement to be making. Of course, it does indicate uh, that uh, the Iranians want Joe Biden to be elected. But what can you tell us about this threat from the president? Well, uh, Jimmy, I think this is just classic projection. In other words, projecting Iran's own sense of defeat under the U.S. sanctions, which have crippled their economy. You know, it's getting like the Weimar Republic in Germany before uh, the Nazi takeover. The real has crashed, completely crashed. Uh, it's virtually worthless. That's the Iranian currency. So I think this is just projection. I think this is Rouhani essentially signaling that, that Iran is at its wit's end, that they don't know what to do. And as we know now from the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, the Iranian hackers have been trying to interfere in U.S. elections to damage President Trump. They've been impersonating a group called the Proud Boys, which until this story hit the news, I don't think anybody had ever heard of. I certainly hadn't heard of them. Uh, they're supposed to be some kind of white supremacist uh, group out there. They deny that they're white supremacists, by the way. They're probably 13 guys in a basement. You know? <laughs> but at any rate, the Iranians have been sending out emails to Democrat voters whose information that they got by hacking voter registration sites. This is one of the things that I talk about in the election heist, my new book. And um, sending them emails warning them that if they vote for President Trump, uh, that they, uh, if they don't vote for President Trump, excuse me, the Proud Boys will come and get them. And the DNI, John Radcliffe again, was very prompt in denouncing this effort by the Iranians to interfere in the election. So I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, a desperation on the part of the Iranian regime. They desperately need Joe Biden to become president because Biden has already said he will 
restore the failed Iran deal and basically lift sanctions on them. He is their only lifeline, and that ultimately, I think, is what this is all about. By the way, folks, Ken mentioned his book, Election Heist. Judy and I have read it. I would say it's a great read. You need to get a copy of it so you can find out what's going to happen in about a week and a half here in the presidential elections. Ken, you spoke about the sanctions, U.S. sanctions on Iran. Another political leader in Iran, the Speaker of the Parliament, is saying that the Muslim nations should really unite and go against the cruel U.S. sanctions. Now, I don't believe you're going to get the Islamic nations to unite with Iran. What are your thoughts? Well, this, again, is an indicator, all right? So this is uh, uh, Mohammed Bakr Khalibaf. He's a former Revolutionary Guards general. In fact, we identify him in our lawsuit against Iran on behalf of the 9-11 plaintiffs as the person who flew al-Qaeda operatives from the Afghan border to Tehran right after 9-11 in a helicopter. He's a helicopter pilot, as well as being an IRGC uh, general. So Kalabakh was meeting with um, his new colleague, he's now Speaker of the Iranian Parliament, from Malaysia, and asking the Malaysians to join with Iran and other Muslim nations against the U.S. sanctions. This is significant for a, a couple of reasons. First of all, this, this gives the lie to what Rouhani was saying, right? The Iranians are not going to make the United States <laughs> surrender. The Iranians themselves are on the verge of surrender. Malaysia is an important ally for them, mainly because of the bank, banking system. Uh, they have used the Malaysian banking system for many, many years. Their top money laundering agent, a guy named Babak Zanjani, had his companies based in Malaysia and was laundering billions of dollars in Iranian oil sales through a bank there, which he had purchased. So that's what this is all about. They're desperately seeking a way out from beneath these U.S. sanctions, which are, again, have crippled the Iranian economy. And at the same time, with the release of those sanctions as it relates to arms sales, Iran is holding an air defense war game after there was some tension arising on their border. They want to be prepared, but... I'm not sure they have the capability of defending themselves even at this time. Do you think that is the case, Ken? Well, they don't have the ability of stopping stray missiles or rockets from uh, hitting uh, northern Iran because they border directly with Armenia and with Azerbaijan and those areas. They're, they're fighting each other precisely in those areas right across the Iranian border. Unlike the Israelis who have close-in air defenses that can intercept rockets coming from Gaza. So they don't have that kind of capability, but uh, they do have uh, pretty significant air defense uh, missiles that they've gotten from Russia, the S-300 system, uh, that can uh, intercept long-range uh, missiles and aircraft. And they've been producing uh, a number of knockoffs from the U.S. Hawk missile system, which they purchased under the Shaw, and others that they've gotten to showcase their domestic arms industry, something which is actually pretty significant. And I, in a previous life, when I had a newsletter on the Middle East called Middle East Defense News, I did the first ever um, uh, in-depth report on the rebuilding or the rebirth of Iran's arms industry in 1989. Very interesting connection between Russia and Iran. And in fact, let me bring up a couple of things about that. Russia's navy has been escorting an Iranian tanker to Syria across the Mediterranean because they were concerned about a United Kingdom intervention, and that tension is mounting, the possibility for that happening. Here's Russia partnering with Iran again. 
Yes, they are, Jimmy. And uh, this is a, a clear, clear signal that Russia intends to side with Iran should there be any future attempts by the British Navy or the U.S. Navy in the Mediterranean to seize Iranian oil tankers as, as they did last year, the, the British Navy did last year. I think this is a big escalation. I think it's a, a real serious challenge to the United States. Uh, I haven't heard anything from the White House about this or from the Pentagon, uh, but it is, uh, you know, the Russians are now operating in the Mediterranean with their Navy. This is something they have not been able to do for decades, and uh, it's a direct uh, result of their involvement in Syria. And to see them protecting the uh, Iranian uh, uh, oil industry, Iranian oil tankers, as they are breaking the, the international embargo and, and supplying uh, the Syrian regime with, with oil, uh, I think this is a very serious escalation. And not only is the Russian Navy involved there in the Mediterranean, uh, but I understand Russia is holding joint drills with Egypt in another waterway very important to Russia, the Black Sea. Can you give us some update on that? Right. Well, that, that also is, a, <laughs> is an escalation. Again, you've never seen Russia so deeply engaged with Egypt as it is today since before the 1973 war. That's when Egypt basically changed sides. They lost the war with Israel, and they set aside their uh, alliance with the Soviet Union and turned towards the West, turned towards the United States. So now Egypt has gone back to Russia because Russia is not putting political conditions on its aid. Now, remember the reason this happened. This was all because during the Obama administration, Obama was favoring the Muslim Brotherhood, supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. And when al-Sisi took over in 2013 with a massive, massive referendum, which we talked about at that time, Obama never accepted it, and he tried to sideline and isolate al-Sisi, broke off U.S. arms sales to Egypt. And President Trump has not really stepped into the breach as much as he could. So he's allowed Egypt to continue this relationship with Russia. And now to see their two navies, again, conducting these tactic exercises, I think is serious business. It also sends a, a message, I think, to uh, Turkey and to Libya, because Turkey, of course, is neighboring on the Black Sea as well. They don't want to see Russia working with Egypt. And in Libya, Turkey and Egypt are on opposite sides. And so that is one of these simmering conflicts that you and I have been discussing now for or weeks on end, and it's, you know, continuing to develop with the peace negotiations with France and Egypt on one side and the uh, Libyan government in Tripoli and Turkey on the other. And as you listen to Ken Timmerman give us his analysis of geopolitical events, the players he mentioned, all mentioned in Bible prophecy as well, that stage is being set for the fulfillment of the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Great report, Ken. Always very essential to have you as we kick off our program on a weekly basis. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update. And Sharam Hadian who was born in Iran, 28 years a Muslim, before he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, will talk to us about the statement by Joe Biden. Joe Biden made a statement that he would have Muslims in every level of his administration should he be elected president. We'll talk with Sharam about that. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. That's right. We're home for a couple of days here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'll be making our way into Alabama and then other locations around this world over to North Carolina in the next month or two. Looking forward to the privilege of being able to be on the road. Great trip out to South Dakota into Oklahoma and now back home. So glad that you could join us for this 90 minutes of information. My broadcast partners giving you the details behind current events, headlines you may be reading or hearing about in the news that will assist you in understanding how this prophetic scenario is coming into place exactly at the time in history when as you as a student of the prophetic word of God would recognize we're here at that time. And a key report for each of us who are students of Bible prophecy has to be the Middle East news update of David Dolan, longtime journalist in that region of the world. He knows what's going on behind all the headlines. That's why we go to him on a weekly basis. And David, let's do that. I understand they're talking about the fact that the country, the Arab nation of Sudan, may well be the next Arab nation to normalize relations with Israel. What can you tell us about this information? Well, yes, Jimmy, it looks definitely like it's on, and uh, that is a um, important uh, breakthrough, one that we really didn't expect because the former leader of Sudan was known for his support of al-Qaeda and of terrorist groups. 
And in fact, the country was placed on the U.S. list of terrorist states in the 90s after there were attacks on U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania that were traced to not the government of Sudan, but that it had supported that. Well, the Trump administration agreed earlier this week, announced that it was dropping Sudan from the terrorist list uh, because the new transitional government there had uh, vowed to not support any further terrorist attacks and actually put nearly $400 million into an escrow account to pay for some of the damages that earlier terror attacks had caused. So President Trump asked Congress to take Sudan off, and at the same time we learned that normalization talks were indeed going on between Israel and Sudan, very, very quietly, basically back-channel talks with the U.S. at the center, and that uh, probably uh, as soon as next week, formal talks will begin, and uh, the two countries will establish formal diplomatic ties at that point. So this is uh, another uh, surprise, another victory for the region, actually, for Israel And we'll have to see that it holds because the transitional government in Sudan is shaky and there are still militant groups there and a lot of Muslim fundamentalists there who are not happy and will not be happy with any relations with Israel. So it's not done till it's done, but it's looking very positive at this point. And it's going to be a great plus as it relates to the Israeli government and their efforts to try to normalize relations with all of the Arab nations there in the Middle East. However, the Palestinians, who, of course, were opposed to the agreement, the normalization between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, they're upset, and in fact, their leadership is saying this would be a major disaster if they lose Sudan. Why is that the case, David? Well, they're exaggerating there. It's not a major disaster. Again, Sudan hasn't played that much of a role in the Arab-Israeli conflict, just one of the Arab League countries that has gone along with the others in their opposition to Israel uh, through the decades. But, um, you know, they're changing sides, and it's uh, the second major African Arab country that is moving towards relations with Israel. Well, of course, Egypt has had formal relations since the late 70s, uh, since the Camp David peace treaties were signed. But this opens the door very, very wide for um, maybe Morocco, uh, possibly Tunisia, uh, maybe even down the road a bit, Algeria and some other major large Arab League uh, countries to come on board as well. So it's, it's a major uh, development. And the Palestinians, you know, they want the spotlight on themselves. And they have said all along until our particular conflict with the Israelis is resolved, nobody else uh, from the Arab world should have relations. And they oppose Camp David and, of course, the late Anwar Sadat was assassinated for making peace with Israel, and they oppose the Jordanian agreement, and any agreement that comes along, they're going to oppose. So it's just their line, their standard line, but uh, it's a sign, another sign that going around them, uh, which is what President Trump and his team has essentially done, is working. And maybe, and the hope in, in Washington is, that will eventually draw the Palestinians themselves into the peace tide, but uh, I wouldn't count on that anytime soon, at least not under the current uh, Palestinian Authority leadership. David, this week, uh, Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, 
He sounded very much like Ronald Reagan. He made this statement, we made peace because we, the Israeli people, are very strong and that government's strong in that region as well. That's pretty right on, solid, forward statement, isn't it? Well, there's no doubt that uh, the, the regional countries have noticed uh, for some time now that Israel, although it's a small country, physically the size of New Jersey with a population about uh, one-third of California's, even less than that, yet it has one of the best air forces in the world. It has a tremendous security contacts all over the place. It has uh, satellites and, of course, even though it's never been stated formally, former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert admitted that Israel has nuclear weapons. So all of its uh, neighbors have been watching all of this and uh, see that Israel is, in fact, determined to survive, is, in fact, uh, heavily armed and uh, out of necessity, of course, not that they want to use nuclear weapons or do any of these things, but they have all this. And so that's very important. But, Jimmy, going the other way, we just had a statement this week from a senior Israeli military official that Turkey is now considered by the defense establishment in Israel to be the greatest threat to Israel's survival at this time, surpassing Iran as Israel's uh, most dangerous enemy, precisely because Turkey is so heavily armed and a member of NATO and has a lot of Western weaponry, etc. So, you know, overall, the situation is not moving towards peace in that sense. But uh, it is important, these additional countries joining the peace train, and it is being watched around the world. David, as you and I, both journalists in Israel for a number of years, you more than me, a long experience there in the Middle East. But you and I know that any foreign dignitary who would visit the Jewish state would have to take a visit to Yad Vashem to understand the mindset of the Jewish people. Now I understand there's a group of lawmakers who want to bring all visiting foreign dignitaries onto the Temple Mount as well when they make a visit to Israel. What can you tell us about that? Well, uh, again, another uh, sign of the growing centrality and importance of the Temple Mount to to Israel and the fact that more and more people are openly talking about rebuilding a temple there and at least having access to pray there uh, without restrictions uh, and more and more prayer going on there, as we've been discussing for the past several years, really. So it would be a natural step. Uh, most uh, uh, world leaders do visit the Western Wall at the base of the Temple Mount, part of the uh, mount, but just uh, a small part of it. Most do that, but going up on the Temple Mount would obviously be another step forward. However, Jimmy, I doubt at this stage that many world leaders would be willing to do that. Uh, almost all of them do go to Yad Vashem when they're visiting the country, although uh, the delegation that came from Bahrain and the, and the UAE did not go up there, but then they didn't even get to Jerusalem because of the coronavirus, which, by the way, is declining significantly. The cases in Israel, they're under uh, 2,000, uh, just a little over 1,000 a day now, which is far less than they were just three or four weeks ago before the lockdown. But but again, they would be probably reluctant, most world leaders, to go up there because, of course, the Palestinians would really throw a hizzy fit if they started uh, taking world leaders up there. So 
We'll see. But if a world leader wants to go up there, I think now that would that would happen. And there are some that probably would want to do that, despite the predictable Palestinian and really Islamic world opposition to that. I can understand why this group of political leaders there in Israel are wanting to have these dignitaries, these visiting foreign dignitaries, enter into the Temple Mount area. It's the most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people. David, it's always very important, I do believe, for us to have a conversation with you, Ben. You bring to the table such important information, and I so appreciate it. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Itamar Marcus is standing by. We're going to talk about the Palestinian media and one Muslim going against another Muslim. That's a very important late-breaking event. You need to hear about it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and as I mentioned, we're here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Return from a long trip there in Edmond, Oklahoma, back to Chattanooga trying to get a bit of rest before we go back on the road. Next week, we'll be in the Atlanta area, and then after that, down in Alabama once again. We'll give you all the details on next week's program of Prophecy Today. Well, as promised, Itamar Marcus, who heads up the team that monitors the Palestinian media, now, their website address, powwatch.org. Let me suggest you bookmark that site. I have it bookmarked, and I get information, alerts from Edomar and the team about what the Palestinian media is actually saying, which is key to our understanding of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that actually has been going on for about 4,000 years. Itamar, thank you for being available, and I want to talk to you about your latest alert that you sent to me, and I'm sure all of your list on your website there that have asked to receive this alert. It's talking about Fatah, who has a brand new video with a song in it, let Jerusalem be freed of the Jews and prepare Jewish graves. Now, before we get into that particular video and song, talk to us about, remind everybody who Fatah is. The main political party in the Palestinian Authority, 
the political party that uh, Yasser Arafat ran and then continues with Mahmoud Abbas is Fatah. So when we talk about Fatah, we're talking about the voice of the Palestinian Authority. Fatah originally was a terror organization. They claimed in 1993 when the Palestinian Authority was started that they would put down their weapons and they would now be a political movement. As we have seen over the years, they have a very, very active terror branch. They've done many suicide bombings. Uh, today, they are a little bit quieter, but when we see from videos like this that they posted, they have not yet really freed themselves from their terror identity. Well, let's talk about that video that uh, is in your alert. It's a video talking to the Palestinian people, wanting to incite the Palestinian terrorists to let Jerusalem be freed from the Jewish people and prepare for Jewish graves. Now, this is a video that's on Palestinian media, but it's not only that, it's a song that many of the Palestinian people are singing. Is that correct? Yes, this was put on Fatah's official Facebook page, and I'll discuss Facebook in a moment. The words are, are outrageous, and it's talking about referring to the peace that was made between Israel and the uh, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, two Arab countries that finally decided to stop hating Israel after all these years and make peace, something Israel's wanted all along. So this song starts, when the Arabness becomes heretical, they're saying that just making peace with Israel is heresy, and therefore you, Jerusalem, should wait for the, the Knights of Allah. They're turning it into a religious war. The Knights of Allah are going to free you of the Jews, and this will be the Jews' graveyard. Now, this song, that Fatah chose to put this song on their website, on their Facebook page, is an outrage, first of all, but that Facebook agrees to post these songs is a double outrage. Facebook would never, never post this kind of hatred if it was directed against any other ethnic group, if it was directed against Muslims, if it was directed against African Americans. They, they take these things off in a second. But when it's directed against Jews, Facebook allows it to stay. Now, they claim that they don't, and we have been reporting this to them for years, and this is the kind of this is the kind of hate that still appears on Fatah's Facebook page. This is total inconsistency by Facebook and the fact that uh, not only do they take your site down often for even reporting the truth on the Palestinian terror, uh, but uh, Fatah is using Facebook to promote terror and anti-Semitism, is it not? Absolutely. There, there have been so much anti-Semitic material on Fatah's Facebook page. In fact, I recently checked and it was still there. They had a video describing uh, Jewish history in Europe as the Jews in Europe uh, were scheming against the whole world. The Jews in Europe were living in ghettos, not because they were actually placed in ghettos, which is the truth, but because they built ghettos to separate from the non-Jews so that they can scheme and plan to subjugate the world. This was put up over a year ago, we notified, we wrote about this, and yet it's still there as I looked, as I checked a few weeks ago, uh, it was still there. So the anti-Semitism comes up and the anti-Semitism stays on Facebook page of Fatah. 
Well, let me talk to just a moment. You mentioned earlier in our conversation the UAE and, of course, Bahrain with the Abraham Accords signed between Israel, the United States, and those two Arab nations. I understand there was a delegation from the United Arab Emirates who wanted to visit the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa Mosque. They came, and at that time, the Palestinian Authority and Fatah actually went out after these Muslims from these two different Arab countries. Boy, they are going after everybody and anybody, aren't they? Absolutely. On Fatah's Facebook page, they put a cartoon of the Arabs coming from the, from the Gulf countries, going to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they were walking through a boot, literally a picture of a boot, and on the boot was a Star of David, meaning they were, they were going through Israel to get the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and therefore, therefore, uh, they shouldn't go to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. These are people, the Palestinians, for years, they think the world revolves around them. Nothing is allowed to progress without them. The Arab countries can't make peace with Israel if they don't like it. Uh, it's an outrage. It's an outrage that anyone takes them seriously, and tragically, many, many countries in the world, including Western countries, take them seriously. I, 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 Iran takes them seriously, I expect. Syria takes them seriously. Hezbollah, they all, they all support them. Uh, but why do the European Union support them, the European countries? Um, why did the United States under Obama give them all this support? Uh, when you have leaders like this who are doing everything they can to undermine peace in the world and to glorify and reward people who murder civilians, um, they should be ostracized. They should be treated no differently than Iran. Uh, they should be boycotted uh, because they are no different than, uh, than Iran. Iran has more potential for danger and because they're building a nuclear bomb. But in terms of ideology, in terms of hate promotion, there is not that much of a difference, and the world should treat them as they deserve to be retreated. Let me remind everybody that the Al-Aqsa Mosque, located on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that's the Pewter Dome building, not the Gold Dome building. But Al-Aqsa Mosque is the third most holiest site for Islam itself. Number one would be Mecca. Number two, Medina. Number three, the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. However, the Palestinians accused the UAE delegation of desecration of this most holy Muslim site. I mean, total inconsistency, I would believe. Do you agree? Absolutely. They're saying they're desecrating it because they came with Israel's permission. They don't want them to come with Israel's permission. They want them to come. I mean, you obviously, in order to come into the area, you need Israel's permission. But they didn't want them to land at the Israeli airport. They wanted them to come through Jordan, through the, through the, across the Jordan River and come by uh, and come by bus or by car from uh, through Jordan. They don't want them to come through Israel. Uh, so that's their that's their outrage. And again, what's, what the irony here is, this is the Palestinian Authority, that probably one of the highest, if not the highest, recipient of foreign aid from Western countries in the world. How can they be giving a country that is filled with so much hatred? How can they be giving them so much aid? That's something that we at PMW, Palestinian Media Watch, have been talking about and warning about and not imagining how this continues to happen all of these years. Well, that's a great question for the leaders of these nations of the world and how they treat the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with total inconsistency. 
That is the evidence that I've just given you in my conversation with Itamar Marcus, who heads up the team, Palestinian Media Watch, as to how God's Word is right on target when it talks about, for example, in the book of Ezekiel, Malachi, and the little book of Obadiah, what will be the end result of the Palestinian people. We'll go more in depth on that when I take a look at the book in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Itamar, thank you for not only your service to the rest of the world about what really the Palestinian media is saying, but also thank you for your time to give me a conversation right here on Prophecy Today. Hope to have another one real soon down the road. Okay, good talking to you. Have a good day. Very important conversation with Itamar Marcus. Remember, he heads up the team, the Palestinian Media Watch, uh, their address on the web, powwatch.org. Go there and make sure you bookmark that website and sign up for their alert news report that comes out just about weekly, keeping you abreast of what the Palestinian media is actually really saying, not to the world, but to the Palestinian people themselves. Well, right now I'm going to bring to my broadcast table Sharam Hadian who has become a good friend. In fact, we now live in the same state. Of course, I'm headquartered in Chattanooga. Sharam took the other side of the state there in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're glad to have him as a Tennessean now. But I want to go to Sharam because of what the vice president, candidate for president, Joe Biden, had to say the other day. But before I do, Sharam, uh, number one, give me your website so people can find and get the information from your website. But number two, answer the question, were your mom and dad Muslims when you were born? And how much of your life has been in the Muslim lifestyle? First, the question about your website. Thank you, Dr. DeYoung, for having me on the program again. The website is uh, TILproject.com, the TIL stands for Truth in Love, so TILproject.com. Also, to answer your question, yes, you know, I was born in Iran, and both my mom and dad were raised Muslim, so I was raised in a Muslim home. My, my mom's so more devout than my dad, more fundamentally following Islam, and I did not become a Christian until I was 28 years old, so I grew up most of my life in a Muslim upbringing, in a Muslim family. Then, you know, by the grace of God, had a just a transformational conversion when I was 28 years old, which is 21 years ago now. So by the grace of God, now I'm, now I'm in His kingdom. Yes, amen, and praise the Lord for that. Well, I wanted to establish that foundation that you do know about the Islamic faith, what their principles, what their goals are, etc., because in the questions I'm going to ask you, I need that background for the answers. Now, here's the question. Joe Biden, who is a candidate for president of the United States, former vice president, addressed this last week, the 15th anniversary event of the Muslim Advocates. Now, that's an association of Muslim lawyers, and they received a promise from Joe Biden that Muslims would play a key role at every level in his administration should he be elected as president. Can you speak to that issue, and should we have concerns about this? 
Well, Dr. Young, we should absolutely have concern because as you and I have highlighted on your program several times, the Muslim Brotherhood and the Muslim community as a whole has really ramped up their political activities, which is something that we have tried to warn Christians about, that Islam is not just a religion, it's a political ideology, and it is one that seeks to then impose its law, Sharia, upon other Western laws, in this case, our Constitution. And so, as you mentioned, Joe Biden is now pandering to the Muslim community because the majority of Muslim Americans are voting Democrat. They're voting left. That's how people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Taleb in Michigan and uh, Keith Ellison in Minnesota, that's how they're getting elected. They're not getting elected just by the Muslim vote. They're getting elected because the left, the Democrats, the progressives, the Marxists, the socialists, they support the Muslim group. So, yeah, he addressed this, this group, MJAM, and the thing is, is that what's concerning Dr. DeYoung is what he said, because he actually quotes in there, besides what you said about him saying that he wants Muslims to serve in his administration at every level, he also said uh, falsely that he would, on day one, end the, the Muslim ban. Of course, we know there is no such thing as a Muslim ban. The President of the United States has banned certain countries from coming in, like Iran, that have Muslims and Jews and, and Christians and agnostic people living in it. But uh, I want to just address with you what he said from, from the Hadith. Joe Biden quotes the Hadith, and he doesn't understand what that Hadith means. What he was quoting is actually a call to jihad. It is a call to arms. So we have to be concerned about the political impl implications of Muslim advocacy, and we have to be concerned with the national security implications of Joe Biden allowing Muslims at every level of his administration. When you talk about the fact that Muslims are getting very much involved in the political arena here in the United States by running for office, by getting organizations together to endorse candidates, by flooding the voting booths with Muslims voting their philosophy of life. It's of concern to me, I would believe, and I would think from that perspective for everybody else, but they must have an agenda that uh, is a part of their lifestyle, their philosophy of life for getting involved in America. Is it because they love America so much, or is it because they love Allah so much and want to put his plan in place? You're exactly right. The second, Dr. DeYoung, listen, it, it, we know in America, according to the Constitution, there's not supposed to be a religious test for office. We just saw this, of course, played out with the Supreme Court nomination and how they were trying to uh, come against her beliefs as a Catholic. But why would it be concerning with Muslims particularly running for office and getting into positions of office like we've seen with Ilhan Omar in Minnesota? The reason, as you said it, is because the ideology of Islam never coexists with any other Western law. So the United States of America is based upon a constitution and a, and a declaration that is based on Judeo-Christian law, Judeo-Christian heritage. Islam is antithetical to a Judeo-Christian law and heritage. That's why we should be concerned. That's why we should be concerned about the imposition of Sharia law, like we've seen in Michigan and Minnesota, when they get elected. So when Joe Biden says that we're going to have Muslims serve at every level, and when we see Muslims serve at those levels, 
they begin to shut down. Again, like in France right now with the beheading of this teacher, where criticism of Islam in Western Europe was shut down. When Muslims get, get power, they shut down criticism of Islam and any real truthful teaching of Islam, and it's violence. So when Joe Biden, he quotes the Hadith that whoever of you sees an evil, let him change it with his hand, and if he's not able to do so, then let him change it with his tongue, and if he's not able to do so, then with his heart, and that is the weakest of faith. This hadith is a call to jihad, because when it says change it by his hand, it, isn't, it means that you have to wage war to change the system. Dr. DeYoung, the Muslim Brotherhood, has told us by their own mission statement that they want to sabotage America. They want to sabotage our miserable house. They have no intention of living in a constitutional republic. They want to change it to socialism, Marxism, communism, and then ultimately an Islamic nation if they can get their way. Well, here's my final question for you, Sharam. You having been a Muslim for 28 years and now a Christian for some 21 years with a different philosophy of life, do you believe that Muslims involved in the American political arena is dangerous for this nation in the future? Uh, unfortunately, the answer is yes. I, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but, but the answer is yes, because their allegiance is not to our nation. Their allegiance as a whole is to Allah. You mentioned that their allegiance is to Sharia, which is the way or the path of Allah. That's what Sharia means. So, unfortunately, it is of major concern, particularly when you see how much they are siding with the left and progressive and a progressive Marxist communist agenda, socialism. The, 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 the Muslim Brotherhood siding with Black Lives Matter, the Muslim Brotherhood supporting Antifa, they're calling for revolution. So, again, their goal as a whole is not to peaceably come in and serve in office. And, and again, I, I think we've seen this with Rashida Taleb in Michigan. I think we've seen this with Ilhan Omar. They've shown their anti-American, anti-Semitic uh, hatred for the Jews, hatred for, for this nation and our rule of law. They want to change America to a socialist nation that then ultimately would then be a further open door for Islam. So this is why we have to get Christians involved to pray, to vote, to run for office, to engage the government and not let it go to waste so that we can um, uh, occupy till the Lord comes. And, and Islam is, is a major issue uh, spiritually, prophetically, and legally, politically for, uh, for us as, as a church and as a nation. Dear folks, that's the voice of Sharam Hadian and a former Muslim who understands the Islamic faith, but now as a Christian understands God's word and is giving us some unbelievable warnings as it relates to the influx of Muslims into the American political arena. Very important conversation, Sharam. Thank you so very much for giving us a bit of time to be able to discuss this issue, and I'm sure we'll have some others we need to discuss down the road. Thank you, my good friend. Thank you, Dr. Young. God bless. Very interesting and informative conversation with Sharam Hadian, looking at Muslims at every level in a potential Joe Biden administration should he win the presidential election for Muslims at all of those levels. Well, we'll stay on top of that story with Sharam Hadian.
Right now, we're going to John Rood. He is the man who covers the European Union. Now, this is a key region of the world. It's a location that fits into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. The EU, most likely the infrastructure for the upcoming revived Roman Empire. And based on that right now, John, I have a report coming out of the European Union that they have allocated millions of dollars to groups who have links with the Palestinian terrorists who would like to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. What can you tell us about this story? Yes, indeed. The European Union has quite a large budget for supporting the Palestinian Authority. And indeed, they provide the largest amount of the Palestinian Authority budget, including salaries and so forth. But uh, as you look into these particular fundings, it's no surprise from the radical element involved that there are uh, terrorist groups that are aligned with the groups that are receiving the money, uh, particularly NGOs, non-governmental organizations. So we see in 2019 that grants worth $7 million were actually linked to terrorist group. And then as well in 2019... Uh, Israeli security uh, dismantled a terrorist network of 50 people, and that also has uh, NGA workers aligned with the EU. Well, it's an interesting story, and it leads me to my next question with you, John. The fact is, anti-Semitism hit its ultimate during the Nazi regime, when the Nazis, of course, responsible for killing 6 million Jews. But my question would be, what about anti-Semitism in light of this last statement that you had to give me in today's Europe? What can you tell us? Well, the lesson of the Holocaust does not appear to be completely learned, and we're having similar rising anti-Semitic forces across Europe for uh, a long time. A recent poll has actually said that uh, of European Jews, 89% of them have felt that anti-Semitism has significantly increased in the last five years. 38% said, and this is significant, that they would consider emigrating out of Europe because uh, Europe is no longer safe for them. Another interesting fact, and that came out, 44% of British Muslims believe in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. So this has continued. This has continued, and... uh, EU wants to do their part to uh, minimize this, but you know, I think a lot of it is uh, they want to appease the Muslim vote. I think that's very significant, and uh, they're not setting the example because they obviously single out Israel in a negative way, the EU hierarchy. It's also a stage-setting activity that's happening in the European Union, which of course will be played out in the tribulation period. Interesting connection between France and Egypt, John. Looks like they're joining forces to try to reach a settlement there in Libya. Can you update us? Well, Libya, I'm surprised it's uh, not in the news as much as it should be, so many of the listeners may not be aware of the tensions that are there. And again, over uh, resources, natural resources, France and Egypt have aligned, and then One of the aggressors is Turkey, which is sending in mercenaries. And there we have France and Egypt working to coordinate some type of political solution 
which would be a permanent ceasefire and a common political agenda. So France is increasing their influence in the region, and for now, Egypt and France are the most concerned about it. Both countries are really uh, opposed to the Turkish intervention. And speaking of Turkey, let me ask you about this. It looks like the European Union's failure to act is going to trigger possibly a conflict there in the Mediterranean between Turkey and Greece. Talk to us about that. Turkey has been very astute with playing their position right now. And, uh, you know, if there's a vacuum, then someone comes in. If there's a weakness, then someone shows strength. And uh, we know the EU weakness is a very serious uh, situation. Uh, Turkey is countering that with aggression. Um, There's not a willingness to act decisively because the EU structure doesn't even allow it. And so this is another reason why eventually we're going to see this turn in the European Union where they are uh, focusing on establishing a much stronger structure that they can act from a central core. And that would align very, very much with what we believe to be a ten-nation confederation from Daniel. Uh, these weaknesses—it's not that they don't—that uh, they prefer to be weak. It's the structure is weak. Turkey is taking advantage. Eventually, we'll see a change where there's a stronger core in the European Union. And as I mentioned, a prophecy being put in place. As John gives us the political events unfolding in the European Union, we can see the prophetic scenario found in God's Word better coming into focus. John, thank you for the report. Great report. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner. That's David James. We'll have an issue to discuss. You need to hear this conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Welcome back to the last half hour of my 90-minute program where I give you broadcast partners from around the world and they have details on current events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I have one more of my broadcast partners. He's approaching the broadcast table. It's David James. We have a very important conversation. You do not want to miss it. He'll be here in just a moment. I want to remind you that we have a poll question on my website, It's prophecytoday.com. That's the website. Then on the home page on the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question for today. The Arab nations, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, are looking for food security from Israel. They do that because 90% of the food for the Gulf states is imported. Do you believe that Isaiah 35, 1, the desert shall blossom like the rose, is in the process of being fulfilled today as Israel is supplying food for their former enemies? That's the poll question. Answer it if you will. We would love to hear your response. 
We now bring to these microphones David James. This is an opportunity for you to eavesdrop on a conversation between the two of us as we talk about an issue that could be of great concern to you as a born-again Christian and relating to your walk with Jesus Christ. We'll take a biblical approach to all of the issues, so I'm glad that you could join us for this conversation today. David, we always receive several questions from our listeners, and this week one of our listeners had a couple concerning the Millennial Kingdom. Give us the information about that email. Sure, Jimmy. One question was, will the millennial Jerusalem be on the new earth, or will it be a different Jerusalem? So during the kingdom, Jerusalem will be the same city as it is today, although I would say it has to be restored because of the tribulation judgments and the earthquake. And then it will be the world capital during the millennial kingdom. And and there will be a Jerusalem on the new earth uh, with another Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven, apparently being above the new earth. And since the present creation will be destroyed, we don't know if the Jerusalem on the new earth will be different or if somehow the Lord will preserve it, because things involving the millennial temple are said to be forever. Now, the second question may be a bit more controversial for some, but I think you and I are in agreement on this, as are a lot of dispensationalists, and that is, will there be animal sacrifices on the new earth? So let me first deal with the millennial uh, sacrifices in the millennial kingdom. And in an Israel My Glory article about this topic, uh, the author writes, People often ask if Jesus' sacrifice was the only efficacious once-for-all sacrifice to expiate sin, that's based on Hebrews 9.12, why should animal sacrifices, uh, which could never take away sin, be offered in the millennial temple during the millennium? So he answers by saying that those sacrifices will be a memorial and will also also remove ceremonial uncleanness and prevent human defilement of the millennial temple because the Lord will dwell on earth in the midst of sinners. And then we don't have time to get into the details, but I would say based on passages in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Revelation, and, and perhaps other places, it seems that those sacrifices will continue on in the new heaven and new earth in eternity future as well. Well, David, this week we've been following a couple of stories about the Roman Catholic Church church. And as most of our listeners know, you recently taught a course on Catholicism, and I thought it would be good for you to share a bit about what got you started studying and teaching on this course. Well, yeah, Jimmy, I've been at it a long time. My wife and I were saved back in 1984, and I had a mostly unchurched background growing up, but my wife grew up in a Catholic home and in a largely Catholic community where we now live, and her mother had converted to Catholicism when she married my wife's father, as that was a requirement to be married in the church before the Vatican II Council, which happened in the 1960s. And my wife attended a Catholic elementary school and then graduated from an all-women's liberal arts school just three miles from her home, and that school is uh, called St. Mary of the Woods College. And the St. Mary's campus is also home to the Sisters of Providence, which is a teaching order, and they are known in the area for their liberal feminism and their extreme environmentalism. And since 
many in uh, my wife's family and most of our mutual friends were Catholic. I really wanted to understand what they believed, and so just a few months after we were saved, we found a Roman Catholic bookstore in Indianapolis, and I bought my first catechisms there back at that time, and so I've been studying and teaching about Roman Catholicism primarily from Catholic sources ever since. Well, that's a great background to be able to discuss the issue. I'm glad you have that and have been not only talking to us about it, but teaching many as you travel around the country and around the world. Well, David, let's get to the stories coming out of the Vatican. One was about a new euro coin, which is the currency, of course, for the European Union. And it was minted by Vatican City to commemorate Earth Day. I think both of us were a bit concerned and disturbed when we heard about this. That's right. Uh, This was an article carried by the Catholic News Agency last Friday, and they described the coin this way. The 10-euro silver coin marks the 50th anniversary of World Earth Day. The front of the coin is the image of a pregnant woman embracing her round belly, which looks like a globe, and stalks of wheat are in her hair. And the article went on to say this. The image on the coin has been compared to carved wooden figures of a pregnant woman that were on display in churches and at events during the Vatican's 2019 Synod of Bishops on the Amazon. And those figures, referred to by Pope Francis and others as Pacamama, that's the the name that is given apparently in an, an Amazonian dialect, were said by some to depict an Andean fertility goddess, while Vatican spokesmen characterized them more vaguely as symbols of life. So, Jimmy, the first thing I thought when I saw it before I read the article was that the pregnant woman was Mary, and there were two reasons for this, that I thought this. First, the Catholic Church holds that the woman in Revelation 12 is Mary, and the in on the coin, the stalks of wheat coming from her hair on this coin, they sort of give the feeling of stars over her head, as in Revelation 12. And the Catholic Church has a long history of bringing pagan imagery into the Church. For example, the mother-son theme, which comes out of Near Eastern religions. And I also think this is an intentional Marian imagery, because they teach that Mary is the Queen of Heaven, the Mother of the Church, the Second Eve, and the source of all grace. And since Vatican II, they also teach that the Catholic Church is God's grace of salvation in the world, making it possible, theoretically, for anyone to be saved, no matter what their religious beliefs. Well, and that last point that you just brought up helps us to understand another of the controversies that the Pope has been involved in over the years, and this one is about even atheists going to heaven. Did not the Catholic Church used to teach, David, that you had to be baptized into a Catholic Church to be saved? You're right, Jimmy. But as I said, that really all changed with Vatican II in the 1960s. So Vatican II was the last council of the Catholic Church, and it introduced a massive shift in the attitude of the Church toward other religions because of the infallibility of the bishops called Episcopal infallibility. This Catholic doctrine uh, and all Catholic doctrines cannot change by definition because if something is ever true, then it must all 
always be true. If it's ever right, it must always be right. And with some sleight of hand and mental gymnastics, I would say, Vatican II expanded the role of the Church in the world, meaning that everyone on the planet is within the scope of God's saving grace. And since the Catholic Church teaches a works-based salvation, replacing faith with faithfulness and truth with sincerity, if someone sincerely lives out what they believe, whatever that might be, then that person could potentially be saved. And you know, Jimmy, based on my understanding of the Vatican II documents, which I have read, uh, for years I've taught that it's better to be a good atheist than a bad Catholic. And in fact, back in 2017, CNN ran an article that had this headline, Pope suggests it's better to be an atheist than a bad Christian. So they actually come out and say this. You know, it's interesting. You have mentioned in the past the infallibility of the bishops. And I understand, of course, not knowing that much about the Catholic Church, for example, like you do, but that the Pope is the Bishop of Rome. So what happens when he makes a statement that comes in conflict with the teaching of the Church? For example, this week, the Pope said he endorsed civil union laws for same-sex couples. What about that? Well, the infallibility of the bishops and papal infallibility, which is a subset of that, is something that most people probably don't really understand. So this doctrine means that when bishops make a formal decision as a group, or when the Bishop of Rome personally makes a formal declaration that something is true and must be believed, then God protects them from error. Now, this doesn't mean that everything the Pope says or writes is without error, or that his opinions are always right or even guaranteed to be in line with the official teachings of the Catholic Church. And in fact, popes have made infallible proclamations only twice in history. The first was in 1854 concerning the Immaculate Conception of Mary, which they say preserved her from all sin, that she couldn't sin. And the second was in 1950 concerning Mary's bodily assumption into heaven. And so this recent statement about civil union laws for same-sex couples was a quote from a new documentary in which the Pope said this, homosexual people have a right to be in a family, they're children of God and have a right to a family, what we have to create is a civil union law, that way they are legally covered. But, Jimmy, not only is this against church teaching, he seems to contradict himself because in 2010, when he was cardinal in Argentina, he said this, there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be in any way similar or even remotely analogous to God's plan for marriage and family. So I would say he's a very confused individual and confusing the church as well. Yes, he certainly is. And I ought to go back and listen to some of his statements there in the past in Argentina. Well, David, as we wrap it up for today, what are some of the things that we need to keep in mind if we're endeavoring to try to reach Catholics for Jesus Christ, or even to disciple some Catholics who have already been saved but are still in the church? Well, here's what I share with students as I wrap up the course that I teach wherever I may be teaching it around the world. I, so these sort of a list that I, I give to the students right there at the end of the course. So one, develop personal relationships because people aren't projects. 
another. Don't assume all Catholics believe the same thing, because they don't, even though they're supposed to. Another is be knowledgeable and capitalize on areas of theological agreement, like the deity of Christ and his death and resurrection. Another would be define your terms, because they can have different meanings for Catholics. For example, the term grace. Encourage them to think through what they believe and compare that to the Bible. Ask leading questions and be humble enough to give them time to answer. Also, realize that at first they actually may become better Catholics because that's all they know. Also, you need to understand that conflicts may develop, and and I've known some who've actually been disowned by their families who have left the Catholic Church. We also need to be kind and patient and, and don't give up, because evangelism and discipleship, they're not the same thing. So we need to focus on evangelism first and not get drawn into debates. And speaking of that, remember, you're not trying to win a debate. You hope to win the heart and mind and soul of that person that you're talking with, that you have a relationship with. Uh, David, those were great points as it relates to try to evangelize a Catholic and then help them to grow in the Lord and ultimately come out of that uh, church that is going to be a part of the One World False Church, Revelation chapter 17. And by the way, those same points would be applicable for others that we're trying to lead to the Lord as well. Great, great statements, David. Great research. Thank you for your insight on this subject. And I'll give you a week to prepare because we'll have another issue to discuss next week, my good friend. Great. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll open the Bible and then put all the reports together from my broadcast partners. And we'll take a look at the book and see how these current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, my broadcast partners came to the broadcast table with great details behind the headlines in our world. These details all fit into the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible. This then is the purpose for this program And it's the reason that you should join us on a weekly basis for these reports. By the way, if you missed any of the reports today, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. When there, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on the right-hand column on the home page. And there you can find a place to listen to each and all of these reports and awaiting your listening time at your convenience. Also, if you will, do me a favor. Tell a friend or a family member about these reports. They need to hear them as well as you, because they need to understand where we are in God's time for the future by understanding how current events are setting the stage for that prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. Now, having said that, Let me give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman, who covers the geopolitical activities of this world, referred to Iranian President Rouhani, who says that the next United States president will admit defeat to Iran and then surrender to Iran. (laughs) You know, it's almost laughable if it was not true. This is a wrong type of thinking for the president of Iran. You must remember Ezekiel 38.5 mentions Iran as one of the Islamic nations to try and destroy the Jewish state. They're referred to as Persia. It's modern-day Iran. But as you continue to read through Ezekiel 38 and then into chapter 39 from verse 18 and chapter 38 to verse 6 and chapter 39, you'll find out that the Islamic world, when they endeavor to destroy the Jewish state, will be totally destroyed forever. And that's the latest on the Iranian statement that the United States will admit defeat and surrender to Iran. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. Sudan will be the next Arab state to normalize relations with Israel. Remember, Sudan is a radical Islamic nation. However, they have now said they will stop all terrorist activities to normalize relations with Israel. The White House announced that they will drop their terroristic sanctions against Sudan and there will be another peace agreement between Israel and an Arab nation. However, that will be for a short time, and then they will join the coalition to destroy Israel, as mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38. 
and God's prophetic word will be fulfilled, the Islamic world destroyed. Itamar Marcus, he heads up Palestinian Media Watch. He talked with me today about the Palestinians who want to free Jerusalem and prepare graves for the Jewish people. The Palestinians want the city of Jerusalem as their capital of their state, Palestine. They will kill the Jews and hope to get Jerusalem after killing all of those who would stop them from moving ahead with that program. However, that will not happen. The little book of Obadiah talks about those who control the Temple Mount today. The Palestinians, that's Obadiah verse 15, will be destroyed forever as well. That's Obadiah verse 18. Sharam Hadian talked about Joe Biden's promise to the Muslims who will be at all levels of his administration. Remember, Islam is not mentioned in the Bible, but Islamic nations are in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, Daniel chapter 11. Islamic eschatology is that the Islamic world will control the world. That means the United States as well. And the best way to try to control the United States is be in high positions in any presidential administration. John Root is our broadcast partner who reports on the European Union. He gave us a report today that the EU is allocating millions of dollars to Palestinian terror groups. You know, the European Union, I do believe, and so does John, is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Palestinian terror will continue until Jesus Christ comes back, as already mentioned in Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. And as they go through the tribulation period, Ezekiel 35, verses 5 and 10, says the Palestinians are going to move to kill all the Jews and then steal their land. David James and I had our weekly conversation, a report on a number of statements made by Pope Francis from the Vatican. The Pope actually said two things, that atheists will have a way to go to heaven forever, and that the church, the Catholic church, condones same-sex marriage. Well, what did Jesus say? In the book of John, chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goeth to the Father except by me. No other way to be able to go to heaven and be with Jesus and the Father forever except by his Son, Jesus Christ. And as it relates to the statement by the Pope that same-sex marriage is condoned by the church, somebody had better read the book of Romans chapter 1. The Pope especially should understand what God's Word says. He calls it an abomination. Well, all of these reports today can be heard at my website, prophecytoday.com. When there, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can find a place to listen to each and all of these reports that have been archived and awaiting your listening time at your convenience. And as you listen to the reports, it's tangible evidence that the next event on God's calendar of activities could be fulfilled very soon. 
that next event, the rapture of the church. And that rapture, when we're called up to be with him forever, could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 